Hello and welcome to all our listeners. Thank you for tuning in to the Capel Podcast, where you can get insights from Capel on navigating the recent trends in the business world. I'm your host, Mark Lee, and today we have with us Daisy Yip, a consultant with the Ministry of Education, NTU slash NIE, and NIE International, to share with us on the topic, inspiring and empowering the next generation to lead change. Daisy, welcome to the Capel Podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, we're so happy to have you here, Daisy, and you've really picked a very exciting topic for us. So can you share with us what the relevance of inspiring and empowering the next generation really is? Coming from the business of education, mm. well, my product are all people. So it is so important that we really need to nurture actually every generation mm. that importance of self-leadership it's an ongoing journey if you're talking about the next generation. Mm. I don't see it as well, what is our mindset and perception of a generation? Is it an era where this age group and their age group? But if you look at it realistically, it's actually a whole community, a, a net, you know, mm. like a web. Mm. Mm. So one generation impacts the next, and the next impacts the next, and all are still together in the same changing landscape. Mm. Therefore, because of the turbulence of change, self-leadership is very important. Mm. Any individual, in any organization, in any time, any place, when something happens, it is so important that that person can just make a difference. And so that is our dream in education. If you're talking about thinking in school and learning nation, yeah. that is where it drives me. So what is a thinking nation all about? Mm. What is a nation? People. <laughs> what about people? relationship mm. what about relationship the power to make a difference mm. I, I think that's yeah really a, a fascinating and really quite a philosophical point that you've raised Daisy that you know often when we talk about say oh, who are the ones that need to shape the next era right or the next leap forward for our nation people say it's oh it's you know it's my generation right but when you, you really look at what you're talking about this interconnectedness of the generations then you really start to boil down to well maybe the fundamental moving force is actually something simpler but no less powerful you talk about our relationships yes and i'd like to just dig into that a little bit more why do you think relationships are are such a powerful force that we need to really maybe optimize when we talk about bringing our nation and even ourselves forward relationship is very dynamic it's alive it's almost like a spirit within a group of people mm. so if you talk about organizational learning the fundamental core theory of success, uh, as Peter Sengi claims, is the quality of relationship. Mm. Any situation, even like just now, for example, Ben, Jessica, Jackie, together, we already formed that relationship of trust. Mm. I know I'm in good hands. <laughs> yes. You know, and the reassurances that you're giving. So it's so important for the team to just go forth. The synergy is there. So therefore, relationship is in every organization, every level, everywhere, from family to a couple, father, son, daughter, and right in the heart of any industry, any organization. I refer to schools, for example. Mm -hmm. The quality of relationship is so, so important that in education ministry, we make a point and we call it TSR. Okay. Teacher-student relationship. Until my student knows that I care for him, I don't think he cares what I do in class. 
So it's until that relationship is formed. And likewise, I think in the office, we all experience that. Quality relationship drives that trustworthiness. So sometimes when the situation gets bad or sometimes, hey, why like that? Uh, but I, I trust him and I'll, I'll follow you. Mm-hmm. So relationship is so, so important everywhere. Yeah, I think Daisy, you're helping us understand that really the bedrock of a quality relationship revolves around this thing called trust. And maybe since we're on the topic of, you know, bringing together the different generations or maybe even starting to talk, you know, about, oh, it's not about this generation or that. But I think nevertheless, some of our listeners might be thinking, you know, is it really that simple? You know, the differences between generations do seem to be pretty clear. And maybe you can share a little bit of insight when it comes to building relationships or building trust. What do you think are some ways that really between generations we can achieve that level of trust and uh, you know quality relationship that would allow us to really come together more constructively? Perhaps I will use a context and an example. Let's take the example of a school principal, of a school. Mm. And I refer to a real school called Green Ridge Primary School. So in a school, you will have all the generations there, from the youngest primary one who we call them the alpha, the I kids, right to the generation Z and to the X and to the millennials and you know, even to the boomers. Mm-hmm. Because some of them who are retired, they come back and they continue to teach. So then what do I do with this array of very interesting dynamics of different expectations, mm. different personality types, yes. different <laughs> modes of learning? What do I do? Uh? <laughs> so when I was appointed to be principal of Green Ridge, I'll take this as an example where how I tried to pull a string, you know, right through the tapestry of Green Ridge families. We suffered a common problem as a whole school. We suffered low image, mm. poor image. Nobody wants to come to Green Ridge Primary School where they first started in 1990. Mm. Why? Because Bukit Panjang was growing so fast, the schools were not built in time to house many, many students coming in. So Greenwich, the first year of its existence, there were four classes of primary one housed in containers oh my. right at the end of the field of Bukit Panjang Primary School. I see. Then another four classes of children housed in containers in at the end of the field in Zhenghua Primary School. Who's your principal? Don't have. Got uniform? Don't have. So they were like, nobody's children, mm-hmm. right? Then the principals are very kind to have housed them because they were already full to the brim. It's really full to the brim. So they really couldn't afford any more formal classes. Yep. Then the following year, of course, I was um, appointed then as a new principal and I got eight classes, nowhere to go. So they clean up an old school called the Bukit Panjang Malay School. It's uh, no more functioning. Clean it up and then the eight classes were housed there. And that school was in Chua mm. So I was a principal of a school with no school. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, now how do I gel them together? And that was where I felt that it's important to just create dreams. Mm. I'm sure we were arrived at the dream. So I meet them very often. And one funny thing here is that my teachers gave me the feedback. Hey, Daisy, Daisy, don't meet McDonald's. Lah. Because they call us that McDonald's school. No? They say, okay, but I got nowhere to go. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, well, we made canteens and sure, all that, sure. you know. Yeah, but what I thought was powerful was to share a dream with each group, you know. My children, their parents, and my teachers, mm. the three most important stakeholders. What, if you describe what Greenwich will be like, what would you like Greenwich to be? Mm. Oh, we want it to be a very popular school, yeah? 
Sure, then describe to me what does a populist look like? What must happen to say yes, we are popular? Mm. And they all unanimously gave me the same answer. Got queue, long queue, want to come <laughs> and register. Yeah, yeah. Got parent volunteer come and clean the school. Uh, they call them the lollipop daddy, you know. Before they go to work, they hold the children crossing outside the school gate mm. to get the children cross as volunteers, so the child can have you know a priority in registration. So then let's make it happen. Mm. So what can happen? Another powerful thing I thought was use of metaphor. Because it's so abstract when you start talking. So, yeah, how would you pick a metaphor to describe Greenwich Primary School? And again, after all the voting, it came to two. A choice of a garden, a choice of a ship. Mm. We're all together. They all voted for garden. Mm. Why? Because Greenwich is green. <laughs> Very natural alignment. Yeah, it was natural. So then therefore, for me, the key for a successful school are my teachers. So what are you in that role for the garden? Oh, we are the gardeners. The children are our plants. We will, you know, make sure that we prune and water and feed the plants and we have to even prune to get the harvest we want. <laughs> sure. Mm. So you see, it's very powerful. And of course, the parents also, yeah. The children are our, you know, outcomes of this garden. And of course, the children, oh, we want to bloom, we want to this, we want mm, to that. Mm. Again, I asked them, so when you bloom, what do you look like? Oh, people like us, people respect us. To cut the whole story short, yes. Yeah, so then we all got together and we said, okay, let's think of the opening ceremony for the school two years down the road. Mm-hmm. What must it look like? And then they all talk about it and they again chose Greenwich again and they said, oh, forest. And in the 1990s, uh, Robin Hood was still very popular. <laughs> yeah. So they say, oh, Green Ridge, Sherwood Forest, Robin Hood, we are his merry little man. So then again, you know, the characters came up. Hmm. And I also make sure that these dreams, we turn it into goals and objectives. So what must happen? Why not my English and the storybooks and all that go into that theme? You know, science also, you talk about, you know, forestry and all that. So, um, when the grand opening came, the school was like turned into Sherwood Forest. Oh. And uh, the teachers would dress like the maids and then the, the men teachers were like Robin Hood. And um, of course, I was Lady Maryam, you know. <laughs> so it was beautiful. It was so, so touching that when a guest of honor came, I think he was Minister of State then, the, the late Mr. Peter Chen. Mm. He came, he was so excited because the whole school was converted and we gave them each a bag of a little one cent coin and he got to pay your way through the toll yeah. when you meet Robin Hood's merry little man. And so he made his way all the way and it was really like a marketplace, you know. When he went up to make his speech, he actually changed his speech. <laughs> and he started with, my lord, my <laughs> ladies. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so I thought metaphor was very, very impactful. Mm. And of course, yeah, it, it impacted the whole school. Yeah, wow. Where the environment was like, their dreams come true and what they want, we, we got it together. Mm. So we asked the, the teachers and the parents, you know, when people respect the school, your PSLE result must be good, right? So we want 100% passes. Mm, mm. It was quite a challenge because we only had about less than 20 primary six students. They came from all over because people moved in. But that senior teacher, she had a dream again. We call it dream, we call it vision, we call it goal, we call it metaphor, whatever you call it. Yeah. She says, I expect 100 passes. 
I don't expect all distinctions, but hundred percent pass. So that when you make your speech, mm. my first batch of graduates, hundred percent, whoa, we clap. <laughs> and yeah. it was so powerful a dream that it happened. Mm. So again, it's the whole organisation moving towards it. I was invited to write little chapters here and there for organisational change books. I think this story that you've just shared with us, Daisy, is. Uh... You know, it's really almost like out of a storybook, right? It's almost like out of a Robin Hood itself. I mean, you're really talking about transformation. I think many of our listeners may be trying to understand what is the application or parallels to say a business context. But I think when you capture the principles which you just shared with us, you start to see a lot of relevance, right? When you talk about giving people a vision, giving people a dream to chase. And then that can be very lofty to people, but then you talked about how you use metaphor to ground it, yes. right? So it's it's giving people something very ideal to chase, but something very presently visible to activate them, to excite them, and you get amazing transformation when you see people that previously are just maybe your so-called just your teachers suddenly they're lords and ladies, and yeah. you know you even have a minister being part of the experience, and that's actually where I want to go with this conversation now, which is. How did you get everybody to come on board delivering an experience? Because yeah. conceptually, people can be like, "Oh, yeah, this is a great idea," but then to actually put in, say, the the sweat, you know, and the labor to actually realize from concept to experience, that I think is something which many business leaders, I think, is daunting to them. Yeah, you brought up a very good point. It's like, yeah, you dream, you dream, 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 and then after that, what do I do?、Mm. So. As a leader, we got to be very focused. And one of my weaknesses is I dream a lot and then I, I get lost. So <laughs>、yeah. remain focused, remain focused, and have a group of people who also will remind.、Mm. So the trustworthiness of the positive relationship, where my head of department will signal me and say, "Hey, easy, you're derailing." Yeah. So I found this tool very handy. I call it the, the levels of perspective. It's a systemic thinking tool. Where whatever the situation,、right. when I met my people, another important thing is regular meeting, meet, meet, talk, talk, and then little bit of success share as though you have conquered the world.、Mm. And if there is a little well, not so good outcome, it's okay. We learn from it, laugh about it. Yeah. yeah. So actually, the word mistake cannot be used in the school. Failure cannot be used in the school. The word I would like to hear is, "What's your learning, huh?" So you know,、mm-hmm. learning the word learning is very important. Yeah. So thinking school learning nation. So we learn. We learn from the little things that happen. And in fact, I was telling my teachers, the more mistakes you yeah, make, the better.、Absolutely. You learn more. So you know, we you know we can become a little bit frivolous about it. So coming back to levels of perspective, the important thing is the grounding part. At there are five perspective. I start with the first perspective、mm. called event level. Until you really know your current reality, then you get all your data and resources. Together, when you analyze it, you go to the next level, which is is the pattern of behavior.、Yep. What is my data showing? Are there patterns of behavior there? And when these patterns of behavior, that's where the leaders come in. And leader is about distributed leadership. Everyone is a leader. Therefore,、mm. I believe in empowering everyone to be able to make decision at that time. Then you ask yourself, what are my systems and structures in place in my organization to address this issue? Then, of course, another important thing, the other level is mental model.、Mm. What are my people thinking? 
me say, I like that, like that, like, it's okay, like, never mind. Like. You say, well, what law I do? No, I, we don't want that. We want everybody to take ownership. And then, of course, from mental model, we all have that shared vision. That is the fifth. Yeah, thanks very much for that, Daisy. I, I think, you know, when we talk about something that's as big as a vision or dream, uh, I think it's already very exciting to see how you're able to share with our listeners that you can take some very practical steps to realize such a big dream, right? From metaphor, and then now you shared about the different systemic levels of thinking. So I think hopefully that, you know, gives our, our listeners a good idea that, you know, you should absolutely dream big. And then at the same time, partner that with some very practical steps, some of these system thinking, as well as you mentioned this, uh, you know, circle of trusted counsel, people who will keep you focused as we are drawing to a close for our time here today, could you perhaps share what is one takeaway that you would really love our listeners to mull over, food for thought, and then put into action to see good fruit come forth from that? Yes, current reality. Ask good questions. I leave you with audit questions. Oh, ask objective questions. What, 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 what? until you know what is the real problem. Then you move on to reflective, interpretive questions about mm. this issue and finally decisional question. And I think we will probably get somewhere from there. Thank you very much for that, Daisy. That has been uh, very much already just that little snippet, very inspiring and empowering. So thank you to our listeners who have joined us for this first part of our podcast on inspiring and empowering the next generation to lead change. So do get out there, start that engagement with all your staff, all the people in your circles, and then come on back because we do have a part two also with Daisy on that empowerment and what that can also look like. But for now, we thank you very much for joining us and we do look forward to having you on the next Capel podcast. Goodbye.